The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF different, visit fvf.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. On today's show, we we could talk about Austin FC's 1-0 loss to Nashville. Uh, we could preview the game against the Seattle Sounders. Um, there's there's a lot of news, including like some some news about the stadium that we could talk about. Um, we could do an interview with Brad Tillery about the Verity Keeper Kit, but instead we're going to do an entire show dedicated to Rohan, Johan Romagna's right thigh. What do you think about that, Jeremiah? <laughs> I think that sounds amazing. Was that your mother that commented on it? Is that where you it, got your text from? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was already thinking about the everyone in the room that I was in was talking about the thigh. I think anyone watching that game was talking about Johan Romagna's thigh. But my mother, uh, let me find this text real quick. Okay, so yeah, just after this, Johan's walking off the field with his his uh, leg, his uh, shorts rolled up. I get a text from my mother that says, holy moly, that is quite a thigh. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great topic, Romagna thigh talk, for an hour. Just uh, it's uh, yeah, I everything else that I just mentioned. Well, I am excited to talk to Brad about the the saga of the Verde Keeper kit, but everything else I just talked about makes me a little bit sad. And so, I just want to talk about just this this big, big beautiful boy and his big beautiful thigh. I, I can't top that. I've got maybe, maybe we should talk about the other stuff too. Let's, let's maybe get into that a little bit. Okay. Uh, hey. I guess we, we should do the the regular intro or maybe we're going to throw ourselves off. So I'm Landon Cottom and I'm joined as always by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. And I was also going to say last week is the first time that I have never introduced myself after you introduced me too. Uh, cause uh, we I, skipped it on the last show. Cause I did something weird and like threw off your rhythm again then too. Yeah. All right, everybody. I'm Mr. Jeremiah Bentley, as <laughs> as some people know me. Uh, and if you happen to be listening to this on Tuesday, uh, we will be doing a live show along with Adrian Healy tonight. Um, if you're listening to it after Tuesday, then you missed it. But we'd love to see some of y'all there. We'll be get a panel at the W Austin at a free event that starts from 5:30 and runs until seven, um, called "Tackling the Terms." So check that out if you can. Um, I think we've spent enough time setting this show up and listen and landon got a very nice haircut for it too i should say oh, yeah. that so if you want to see landon landon with a real haircut come come <laughs> check us out on tuesday all right uh you want to jump into the nashville game jeremiah yeah let's do it okay so uh this is being billed as kind of the game between music cities and so and then also uh i saw that uh some of the austin fans that traveled were were essentially doing a fake bachelorette party because it was the battle of the the bachelorette party capitals of the world. And so I thought that was pretty clever and looked like a lot of fun. Um, as far as the soccer goes, Austin and Nashville were being compared quite a bit as far as how th- these teams were, uh, were built in their first years. And so, yeah, a lot of similarities between these two cities and teams on and off the field. It, we we had Alex Ring back, which we were all excited about. We'll talk about whether or not that actually made a difference or not. But uh, yeah, is there any other any other things that stood out to you about this before the game started? Yeah, I think just the effect of the road. There were a lot of questions during the week um, to Josh about the road trip and how long it had gone on, and whether that would whether that would continue or not, or whether there was something that would change up during the week. And I 
I think that as those of us that watched uh, observed, that was probably it's kind of an ongoing uh, battle to to open the season with this many matches on the road too. Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, let's jump into the game. So um, I, I after, on the rewatch, I thought Austin started out fairly strong as far as moving the ball around and putting together some nice little little uh, runs of play. One of them, one of the nicest moments of the game was Cecilia Dominguez. Uh, I think it was off of a turnover. He ends up getting the ball and does a nice little slaloming run, gets into the box and puts a shot just wide. Um, I think he probably should have done a little bit better on that one. Um, then Johan Romagna around the 30th minute, uh, he goes down and is grabbing his leg. Uh, trainers come onto the field and they're looking at his leg, gets up, walks off slowly, is off the field for a play, comes on and almost immediately goes back down and then comes off the field. So lose the center back there. Um, after him, depending on how long he's out, that means that Austin FC now has two healthy center backs on the entire roster. And not just center backs like by trade, but like I don't think anybody else on the roster has ever played center back ever. Like unless you want to count John Gallagher playing one game <laughs> as a (laughs) left center back in a back three or whatever. But um, we literally have zero people on on the bench that can play center back at this point, which is something I was pretty stressed out about. Um, One thing that gives me a little bit of comfort is, and I'll give a a shout out to Seth Rao for this one. He found this article that that mentioned, it was an article about the, uh, uh, I forget which team, he's in Birmingham, is that right? Yeah, he's uh, Freddie Clemens with the Birmingham Legion. Yeah, so Freddie Kleeman has been loaned out. Um, This article that Seth pointed out mentions that he can be recalled at any point in time. And so I would hope that they would be on the phone with Birmingham on the the flight home saying, hey, Freddie's got to come back because we don't have any center backs anymore. Uh, So hopefully we'll have either – I don't know that they could get a signing in that quickly unless it was already in the works, Um, but – we have to have more than two. Like you can't just have two center backs. It's not feasible, but well, okay. So on that, did you see when he went down, you have any idea what happened? I mean, I couldn't, it looked like not obvious. He like extended his leg, um, in a tackle. I can't remember exactly what the action was, but it looks like it was one of those things where it was like a weird extension and maybe it was a hamstring the way that they were like kind of rubbing the back of his leg it seemed like maybe it's a hamstring and like just one of those weird things. Like you just stretch your leg or extend your leg in kind of a strange way that that's my best guess, but honestly who knows, but it did look like it was a muscle thing and not like a, a joint or ligament injury. It was looked like a muscular issue. And then, and then when you think of the Cascante Beasler center back pairing, like in the moment, what went through your head about that potential? Mm, yeah. So, uh, Chris Wilhausen came over to the house and watched with me and we were both, he had been saying like, I, I wish that we would start Cascante because I really liked the way he looked in that game that he started. And uh, I guess Colorado was the game that he started. Uh, really liked how he looked there. I think thought that he just had done a really good job. And I was like, ah, I don't, I don't think Cascante fixes any of our problems. And so that happened. I was like, there you go, Chris, you're going to get to see Cascante. He's <laughs> like, this is not what I meant. I did this not is mean the worst. Yeah. <laughs> to have both of them next to each other, like no speed whatsoever among the center backs. And so a little bit 
worrying. Honestly, I thought Cascante did quite well after he came in. I don't think any of the issues that continued were his fault. And I think he was able to do some pretty dangerous uh, line breaking passes like we saw against Colorado as well. So um, I think that if Romagna does come back and is healthy, I think that might give him a little bit of something to think about just for, for how well that Cascante did look while he was on the field. But uh, yeah, I was definitely a little bit concerned just with the just f- speed factor alone. I, I wasn't sure how well they were going to do. And I think those those concerns were proved correct several times for the rest of the game. For sure. And I mean, they benefit from that happening versus Nashville as opposed to a club that's more dangerous in the attack like LA Galaxy or possibly the Seattle Sounders, who could be next week's yeah. opponent. You say that, yeah, it's against Seattle, I think for sure. But I mean, against a, a counterattacking team, it is a, a dangerous thing to see, like having no speed at the back against a team like Nashville, who's like lives and die, lives and dies on that counterattack. Um, yeah, it, it was a little bit nervous, but Seattle's going to do the same thing. So that's that's something to look forward to, I guess. Um just after that, I think a minute or two after that, Nashville ends up scoring the only goal uh, of the match. It was, again, one of many transitional moments. Uh, Austin FC would turn the ball over, do something stupid. Nashville would get it, break fast, and get a chance. And this happened many times on uh, throughout the, the night. Jonder Cadiz ends up with the ball on the right wing. Beasler probably doesn't... Um, push up and like put enough pressure on him. He puts in a cross. Um, Cascante was marking Sapong, CJ Sapong in the box, but Lay- Randall Leal was running in behind him and Nick Lima had was pushed up into the attack. And so he was a mile away and didn- couldn't get back in time. So Leal ends up uh, receiving the cross, kind of scuffs it a little bit, but he wrong foots uh, Brad Stuver. And so it bounces kind of awkwardly, but because Brad was leaning a bit, a little bit the other way, he didn't have a chance and and went past him. And so, um, yeah, I, first of all, what I, I saw a lot of people criticizing Stuver there and people, I think a lot of people who haven't been paying attention all season saying like, Oh, that keeper sucks. Like, uh, you haven't, you clearly haven't watched any of these games and don't know his story, but, um, I, yeah, it was, an, an error for sure, but I think it was more of a, a case of him being just wrong footed a little bit. I think he, he was kind of cheating, right. And was expecting that, that shot to come near post. And when it didn't, he just kind of like froze and it made, it, it looked bad, but I don't think it was as big a mistake as, as what some people were making it out to be. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that's just, it's gonna be part of what you get with the way he plays. I mean, he makes so many good plays to make up for that, that, you know, he's occasionally going to step the wrong way, you know, um, in, anticipating action and yeah it did look bad because it looked like it looked like he just kind of fell down when he was reaching out for the ball but if you if you watch it it wasn't exactly that and so you know everybody's gonna make a mistake at some point yeah and it it, like i said i think that mistake looked much worse than it actually was too i mean i think from there on out the rest of the first half was kind of uh i don't know i felt i felt a sense of impending dread about it and i was very very happy for them to get to the half Absolutely. Um, down down <laughs> one nil. And I feel like I remember thinking, you know, if we could if we can just make it there, this is our chance to 
hopefully regroup and get new energy, you know, and come back out in the second half, make some subs. Uh, my, my neighbor, who's like kind of brand new to this, he texted me and he's like, what are we going to do? And so it's like, it'll be fine. Gallagher, Gallagher Stroud, and like Fagundes are kind of coming at 60 and everything's going to be right with the world. And I, you know, I was partially right with that um, on two of the people coming in, but it did not make everything right with the world for sure. Yeah. So um, 62nd minute, you, as you mentioned, Gallagher and Stroud come on. I know Chris Bills was a little bit critical of, of this decision uh, to bring, he, he thought it should have been Stroud and Fagundes coming on just to get like a little bit more creativity there in the, in the midfield. And uh, yeah, as, as far as like what Gallagher's strengths are, what he's done really well so far this season is stretching that back line when the back line is right up against the goal. I like, what is he going to do in that, in that regard? And I think, I don't know. What, 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 how do you see that? What do you think about about Chris's uh, criticism there? I wish. I wonder. You know, did it have anything to do with how early the the first sub had to come? You know, I mean, like what? Because that that had to throw off Josh's substitution pattern that was planned when Romagna goes out in the first half. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe he was planning to bring him on and didn't. But I feel like. Gallagher and Stroud are your opportunities to create instant offense. And so I don't see any, I don't see any problem with doing that just because I don't know where else you go on the bench. I mean, they've, they've proven they have a pretty good track record of like running at people and making a difference, you know, regardless of, of formation. So I thought it was a, a good set of substitutions. Yeah. I'm like, I, I mean, Stroud, Stroud looked really sharp as soon as he got on, as far as like the, dis, the decision to bring on somebody else, uh, like you could say Fagundes maybe should have come on a little bit earlier, but um, as far as putting Gallagher on, like you don't have another option if you don't like what you're seeing from Hoosen, and I didn't like what I was seeing from him. I'm sure Josh Wolf didn't either. It would be great if we had two or three other strikers to choose from. Like, oh, I like this this profile to put on at this point, but we don't have that. We've got those two guys, and that's it right now. And so, uh, yeah, I like. I I think Chris has a point that maybe bringing on Fagundes a little bit earlier as opposed to Gallagher in that moment could have been smarter. But at the same time, like if you don't like what you're getting, this is the other option. So let's try it. Yeah, for sure. And as you said, I mean, Stroud did make a difference because it was 10 minutes later when we thought he had the the game-tying goal. Um, but he was very clearly offside once, yeah, once it went we- to VAR. They they made us wait a, a good long while to find that out too. But uh, there was, I can't remember who played this ball in, but somebody kind of plays a ball a little bit over the top into uh, Danny Pereira, who is kind of running diagonally towards the top of the box. He jumps up, heads it, gets destroyed by Daniel Lovitz. Um, they play advantage there and it bounces to Stroud on the back, like, the back side, the far right side of the box, and he hits it really low and hard, and it it bounces off the keeper's hand and kind of powers into that bottom corner. Um, it was, I think, probably like a minute and a half before we realized there was they were reviewing it, but they ended up reviewing it. Turns out that he was offside, um, and then 
so goals taken away and then Austin FC gets a free kick at the top of the box. And Jeremiah, you said that you saw some confusion about the free kick. Is that right? Yeah, I saw some confusion both in Slack and on Twitter because, you know, it, it was a directly uh, because it was an offside. People were asking why it was a free kick and not a goal kick. And I, uh, for Nashville, and I think you said you saw or I guess you like saw the ref make the uh, make the move or whatever for. For, yeah, for he, advantage. Like, he he brought up an arm saying like I'm playing advantage here, and so he very easily it was a, a pretty nasty foul, and so I think there could have been the the instinct to kind of blow that whistle immediately and be like, okay, that was a dangerous foul. We're gonna stop it right now. But the ref, I didn't like every decision the ref made, but I think in this in this moment he did a really good job of playing advantage and saying, okay, I, I see this ball is still dangerous. Let's see what happens. It ends up falling to Stroud. He puts it in the net. But then upon review, he was probably two yards offside. But because he had played advantage, and it's essentially like that play didn't happen. Like what happened after that foul didn't happen anymore. And so you rewind back to that foul. So the offside essentially didn't happen because it was it happened during an advantage played. And so instead of it being Nashville's ball where the offside happened, it goes back and it's Austin's ball where the foul occurred. I don't remember. I don't remember who took that took that free kick, but I guess we did not look very dangerous on set pieces at all. Um, the whole the whole night. Yeah, um, I think that was Pochettino ended up taking that one, and it was uh, it it was close enough, but it was still probably several feet over the bar whenever he took it. Uh, was there any other? Any other things worth noting? I guess Fagundes and Mane come on in the 80th minute. Um, I think Mane had a few semi-dangerous looking moments. But really after that, it was just kind of scrambling and trying not to die on counterattacks over and over. Yeah, Nashville obviously is very disciplined and they, they did a great job of just sitting back and keeping their shape and and not letting anything happen. So I don't didn't really feel like there was a lot of threat after that. Um, after sort of that brief moment of glee before before the goal got taken away, it was just you know Nashville stuck to their guns and played their thing, and we we never really made um, you know a lot of a a lot of a threat to to tie it up after that. Yeah, there's several. I think Austin had several shots after that point, but um, none of them were dangerous. I'll actually go through a few stats to kind of tell a little bit of the story of how this game went. So Austin FC had 59% possession, which that seems impressive, right? Seems sounds pretty good. Uh, they had 10 corners, only one shot on goal. And so I think we had 12, 13 shots, something like that. Only one of them on target. The one that was on target, do you remember which one it was, Jeremiah? I don't remember. I don't. I don't remember which one it was. I, mean, I the, think it was. I think it was Nick Lima, but it was like kind of a like a rebounded volley from the top of the box that the keeper ended up having to save. But it was a little bit like a, a chance shot. It wasn't like a well built thing that we ended up getting a really good shot off of. It was like kind of a chance thing with like a good reaction to get the ball on frame. And the keeper had to save it, but that was it. That was the only one that we got on target the whole night. We had we put in 20 crosses and only connected 13.8% of those. Uh, to show a bit of the contrast, Nashville 
put in, I think, 18 crosses or something like that and connected 47% of them. So 47% to 13% shows a little bit how disjointed the offense was in the attacking third. And then looking at expected goals, Nashville ended the night with 2.4 and Austin had just 0.4. And so out of those 12 shots, the expected amount of goals you would expect to see out of that is less than half a goal. And so not great, not, uh, not very promising at any point in the attack, except for a couple of those moments that we mentioned, but Nashville was, uh, very compact in the back. That's kind of just what they do break hard on that counter attack. And they did it really, really well. Um, you, you think of like counter attacking teams or teams that kind of bunker that hard in defense. And I think you think of bad teams doing that or like inferior teams doing that. Nashville's not bad. They're a good team that chooses to play that way. And so it's weird to, to watch a game like that where Austin had 60% of the ball and think that they were on the back foot pretty much the whole game. Yeah. And I, you know, in the post game too, I was like Josh said uh, that he felt like Cecilia or Danny should have scored early. Um, then maybe that early goal would have changed the tempo of it. I mean, Cecilia's shot was a pretty good chance, but I feel like that was an optimistic summary of that. Like seeing the way Nashville played, um, I don't uh, know. I don't know how much of a difference that would have made. I mean, it would have made them have to come out a little bit, right? Like if I can't remember what minute Husin's chance was, but. He had a header that was like, it's not one that like he definitely should have scored it, but he definitely should have put it on target and failed to do so. And so those are two chances early on that if we get one or two goals in the first 15 minutes, then Nashville can't just sit back and counter. They have to step out a little bit and try to play. And that maybe opens up some more opportunities for more goals or, or just for us to keep the ball in more attacking positions more. But uh, because that didn't happen, they were happy just to sit back and let us have the ball in our own half and then take it from us and counter any opportunity they got. Yeah, that's true. So do you want to talk about what has gone wrong tactically? I mean, I feel like I think the note I wrote in here is this seems like a continuation of the Galaxy match and sort of the last 70 minutes of the uh, Minnesota match because now we're 250. It's like 253 minutes, I think, without a goal. Yeah, the um, seventh, seventh minute of the Minnesota game was the last goal. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so um, so it's 180 plus 80, so it's still over, over 260. Yeah, yeah. So I think another another interesting stat. I think maybe he was overtaken this week, but Stuver was leading the league in saves, uh, which is again impressive by him. But it's not necessarily a stat that you want because it means that people are shooting at him a lot. And so he's, I I feel like he's done a pretty good job and hasn't been beat many times when he shouldn't have been. Um, But it's still, it means he's getting shot at a lot. So we're giving up tons of shots. Um, As far as the offense goes, there's lots of stretches where we're putting together really good passing sequences, um, possessing the ball. We've outpossessed the opponents in every game we've played. And so that part we're doing really well. It's whenever we're getting into the attacking third, there's so many moments that we would get into the attacking third, 
and really good string of possession, good passing sequences, kind of pulling the defense around, and then somebody shoots from distance or somebody plays like a a high-risk long ball or something, and then it just breaks down. And especially against Nashville, this happened over and over where we'd get into a, a decent position and Pochettino would shoot or Pochettino would try a long diagonal and it would just get headed away. And so it seemed like anything good we did would get wasted by a poor decision. And then lots of turnovers just kind of in the middle of the field, just a bad pass or a, a, a heavy touch. A heavy touch from Husin is what led to the goal. He he drops in. Um, I think Beisler plays the ball to his feet. He doesn't control it well and ends up with Nashville and they're on the break. And because Lima was so far up in the attack, which he thought was he was building up the attack, it ends up a counterattack the other way and there's nobody on that back post to cover Leal. Um, so I yeah. think a lot of it is individual errors. Uh, I was just going to say, I, I think you know Josh talked about that during the press conference too, about um, not letting shape, not letting sort of the, the system play itself out and not letting the shape happen, but just trying to do too, getting frustrated, trying to do too much. I think specifically he was talking about Pochettino, who I felt like had a lot of that in this game. Yeah, he has, he had the most um, various types of turnovers and giveaways. He had the most in this game. Watching him, it's very clear that he is one of the most talented players on our team. He's very talented, really good at kind of dribbling out of pressure really talented passer. We've seen what he can do on free kicks, but none of none of it has really turned into anything uh, in a meaningful game so far. I don't think we should abandon it. I think this is a thing that he needs to bet into the system. The system needs to start actually working more around him as well. Uh, but he does need to tighten it up and kind of limit some of those individual errors. But some of it, I think, is because he's getting frustrated and forcing things that he doesn't need to do. And so if the offense is working better around him, I could see him um, kind of starting to click a bit more. But like I said, it's clear that he's one of the most talented players on the field. We just need to learn to harness that and, and get him to make some smarter smarter decisions. Do you want to talk about Wellhausen's uh, tactical? Well, we'll yeah, again, tweets are not great for an audio format, but maybe just, yeah, hit on briefly on sort of like the points about uh, the shape and, and maybe some chance to hopefully address some of that. Yeah. So I mentioned individual errors, but I think there was some stuff going on as far as just our shape. And Chris Wilson did a, a tweet thread that kind of pointed out some of the things he thought was going wrong. There's a few, a few good points made within that. I thought the, the one that stood out the most to me is, he talked about having um, not enough of the midfielders actually in the midfield in the attack. There are certain moments where Austin, the fullbacks were pushed high, and then those two tens would also push high, or one of them would drop back and the other one would push high. And so it would essentially be the two fullbacks, sorry, the two center backs deep, and then Ring and either Pereira or Pochettino kind of in the midfield. And then there'd be a line of like six players in a straight line across the top of the 18 yard box. And I understand that there's like starting from there and maybe some movements that could turn into something that Wolf wanted to see. But I honestly don't understand what the intention is with that. 
I imagine what's supposed to happen is somebody's supposed to drop in and receive the ball and it starts off kind of some, some rehearsed movements, some, um, yeah, some rehearsed passing sequences that's supposed to spring something from there. But a lot of times, most of the time, what ended up happening was we couldn't get the ball inside. Uh, midfielders were too far apart from each other. We'd end up pushing it wide and putting it across. And I already told you how few of those actually connected. And so uh, it was just really frustrating that I think one thing, if you watch the game against um, against Colorado and against uh, LAFC as well, is something we did really well was the we defended pretty well for a lot of that LAFC game. And if you watch the midfielders, they're all very close together, very narrow. And so whenever we did get the ball, we were able to kind of just like one touch it around and um, very short, like short, accurate passes that ended up moving us pretty far down the field. In this game, it seemed like they were all so far apart from each other. And that could have been strategic in in what Wolf was trying to do in this game and trying to maybe spread out Nashville's compact defense. But all it ever ended up turning into was these crosses from outside and or they would give up a ball in the midfield. And because everyone was so high, there was nobody to stop the counterattack. And all we had was two slow center backs at the back trying to stop it on their own. And so I I've seen a lot of people uh, being really harsh on Wolf, being really harsh on a lot of the players. Uh, some of it deserved. I don't think this is necessarily a thing where, like, we don't need to change the whole system. I th- I still think this is a thing where like a few small changes can fix a lot of this. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think there were some some big positioning things. I think honestly, just I think having a proper striker in the game would help a lot of this. Uh, Josh Wolf said in the the post-match press conference that after Husin gave away that ball that led to the goal, it affected him and he kind of stopped showing. He was dropping in and and dropping in the midfield and combining with midfield early on. And after that, he kind of disappeared. We didn't see him again very much. And so he wasn't dropping in there. Cecilio wasn't really dropping in like he has in other games. And so a lot of times ended up in, in the middle of the field there, there was just nobody. And so if we lost the ball, they were just gone. Nobody there to stop them. But also those passing triangles weren't there. And so whatever the game plan was, there's so many individual errors that whatever Josh Wolf was trying to do wasn't ever happening because we turned the ball over or cross it in and nothing ever came from it. So it was... Uh, it was a very frustrating game to watch. <laughs> yeah, I think you had this note here is the best one. Like, there has to be some way to put some teeth in the attack. Either, I mean, finish some stuff, you know, change the shape a little bit. But the a lot, even on the defensive side of the ball, you know, a lot, a lot of the, um, a lot of the issues are related to the fact that the attack is just not threatening at all. And if you look at all those passing charts, you know, nobody's there's some nines out on an island again, just like we talked about. So. I think it's really the thing that the club needs to work on and find a solution to is how to make the attack um, realize its promise. Yeah, and I think I think I said this on the show last week. It's great if we're going to go all out and be this attacking team and, okay, yeah, we're going to give up some goals behind, like some, some counterattacks and things like that. That's great. I'm all for sticking to that system. 
and not really wavering on it. But if you're going to do that at some point, you have to score goals because you can't, you can't play that way and not score. You, it, it's a, a, a requisite thing that needs to happen. It's like you have to score goals if you're going to give up that many transitional plays. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I think part of it is we need a real number nine, but also, um, I think we have some really talented players on the team right now who just aren't necessarily in fitting into the system well, or aren't always making the best decisions. So I think one thing I, I would maybe like to see at this point, and I've, I've think I've been, uh, kinder to Danny Hooson than a lot of Austin FC fans have been to date. Um, I think this experiment has has run its course and I think we need to bring in a DP number nine. But in the meanwhile, like in the meantime, I wouldn't mind seeing a starting front three of uh, Gallagher, Dominguez and Stroud, but with Dominguez in the middle, kind of playing that false nine and Stroud and Gallagher running in behind off of him there. Um, I don't know if we'll actually see that, but that's something that I would be very interested in seeing at this point. I'm I'm interested in seeing anything other than what we've seen so far so far to date. So, do you feel like we've uh, beaten this dead horse enough? About I think so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's maybe take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with some very exciting Austin FC news, and then we're also going to do a little interview with Brad Tillery, who was kind of the the ringleader of the release the Verde keeper kit movement. So that'll that that'll be a fun a fun conversation. So we'll be right back in a second. Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FBF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FBF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to fbf.law to find out more about what makes FBF different and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of case. Once again, that's fbf.law. Okay, we are back. Uh, let's jump into some Austin FC news. It seems like there's a lot that's happening right now, and some of it is is very exciting. Uh, something not so exciting, Hector Jimenez was injured against uh, LA, in the LA, LA Galaxy game. Turns out that was an MCL sprain, so it's it's not going to require surgery, but will require some time out and some treatment. Um, they, they haven't given a timeline on that, have they, Jeremiah? No, they were very, it was one of those two line, um, press releases, but yeah, they just talked about treatment rehab and he would be back, you know, whenever he could be back. And my Google doctor experience shows that, uh, the, uh, depending on the severity of the sprain, your recovery time can vary wildly. And so we don't have any insight as to exactly what it was other than it's not surgery. So we should get him back sometime this year. Yeah. I, from, yeah, just like my experience of having knee surgeries like friends in college or sorry, in high school football and stuff like that. I think it could be like a few weeks if it's minor or up to like a few months if it's 
a, a pretty bad sprain. So hopefully it's on the, the shorter end of that. But um, yeah, well wishes out to Hector. Some other exciting news is some uh, player transfer rumors. So one of one of which is a player named Henry Martin uh, from Mexico. We've seen some some rumors on on Twitter that that maybe Austin FC has been connected to him. Uh, he, I think it was announced that he just re-signed his contract, but I think it was only, it wasn't a super long one. So it's still a possibility. Um, yeah. Do you, do you know much about this guy, Jeremiah? I don't, I mean, I know what I know about him is that people seemed excited on Twitter about the opportunity that he might be the kind of player that Austin was looking for. Um, and also that his like six, well, he's his age, right? He's like 28 or something. So I mean, that's good to see too. Right. Cause it is showing that they're not get, well, it would look like they're not like looking at sort of a retirement league kind of guy, right? But they're really going after like a player that's in the mix and he's pretty successful. I think he scored maybe like 35 goals for his current club um, in his yeah, career. Yeah. Tw- 28 years old playing for Club America. So it's not, it's not some no name scrub guy out of, out of Mexico. So that would be a pretty ambitious signing uh, if that were to happen. Another one that we saw connected was a guy named Ake Loba. Uh, who is from Ivory Coast but plays for Monterey in Mexico. Um, he's 23 years old. And so the profile of this one seems a little bit strange to me. Um, in a vacuum, if we were didn't have already have designated players on the team, I watched some footage of this guy. I'd be pretty excited to bring this guy in. Um, but... I feel like for our third DP, we need to bring in someone that we know is going to come in and and be a game changer from the start. I think this guy would be pretty good, but I don't know. He's he's kind of like the second or third striker for Monterey right now uh, behind uh, Vincent Janssen and uh, Funes Mori. And so he, he's gotten quite a bit of time. His, his goal scoring record's pretty good as well. But uh, I'm yeah, I'm just... If it's gonna, if this is the only DP we're gonna get, I would prefer it to be someone like Martin as opposed to Ake Loba. But um, I'd I'd kind of forgotten how excited how exciting transfer rumors were. So I'm kind of glad to see that some of these are popping up again, even if most of them are BS. But it's kind of fun to to look into and think about for sure. Yeah, we're not that far off from some of these becoming a reality. Hopefully, I mean it's this it's summer. The summer comes soon. I think the window opens like July first. I think if, uh, if that's yeah, right. So, first week in July. I can't remember the exact date, but it, it'll close in early June, like the initial window. But because of the weird, uh, like the pushback start date of MLS, there's not much time in between that window closing and the next one opening. So yeah, I think July is when we would be able to start bringing in players. If if we don't bring them in this week, then we could start bringing them in in a month. So yeah, it's about that time. All right. Uh, I think some of the most exciting news of the week is that Austin FC announced that the first game in Q2 Stadium against the San Jose Earthquakes is going to be full capacity. And so if you are a season ticket holder uh, for Austin FC, you can look in your SeatGeek app and you will notice that your tickets are there, which is a, a very welcome sight. You Did you do that? I did that this morning, early, early on. As soon as, as soon as I saw somebody post like their pictures, their app. So it was really exciting to see. Yeah, for sure. So um, can they've also announced that they're going to start selling single game tickets. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Jeremiah? 
Yeah, I will. I will do that. So the single game tickets uh, for this is going to be for the people who are on the wait list. Um, can beginning on May twenty six, they can buy tickets for the first six home games, and they can buy up to six total seats. Um, it's basically what being on the wait list gets you. So you can do you know three twos, or I guess you could get all six and blow it out and be done. But that's 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 how they're going to work through the waiting list. Is you could purchase six total tickets for this season, and then any remaining tickets will be made available to the general public on the 27th. But I, I'm guessing we did the, I did the math on it. You know, I don't think a lot of tickets are going to make it out to the general public. Cause I imagine the people on the wait list are all going to take advantage of their six seats. Right. Because it's, it's 20,000 plus at this point. Right. So, right. The limiting, limiting it to six total. I think, at first glance sounds a little bit harsh and like, Oh, let us, let us see more games. But at the same time, they're trying to get as many different eyeballs into that stadium as possible at this point. Right. So I think it makes sense. And I think it's probably the fairest way to do it is you've got 20,000 people on a wait list. You want as many of those people to get a chance at actually getting into the stadium. Otherwise, like, why am I on this wait list? (laughs) Yeah. You got to give it, you got to give us all of them a little bit of a taste of it rather than just, lining people up, which is, I mean, good for them. You know, they've they've gotten, especially considering you had to pay $50 to be on that list. Like you, I mean, you have, you have to give those people something. So I think this is a pretty fair approach to doing it. It's not, I I didn't know that's what they're going to do at all. Um, you know, another question that came up was, um, around, uh, masks and whether masking would be mandatory or optional. And they didn't actually answer that. I noticed in the press release, like it wasn't addressed at all. So, uh, there was a quote from uh, Dr. Escott, who's the head of public health, um, who hopes that by the time we get to June 19th, um, it might not be a condition of entry, but also it might. So they're not ready to have an answer on that. But hey, uh, whatever it takes to have a stadium full of people, I think is the best approach. And so inside the stadium, we had a few uh, firsts inside uh, on the grass. And there are three three that are notable. Uh, first is the Academy had a match. Um I guess it was a scrimmage because the Academy's teams were playing against themselves, but they actually played like a full game on the on the on the field at Q two on May nineteenth, which is I think also the day that they announced they were going to go to a full um, Academy schedule next year. So they'll have U twelve all the way up to U seventeen, which I, was a little bit ahead, I think, of where we thought they might go. I mean, I, I didn't have an idea that they would go all the way out next year. Um, I think we had heard that they would do both of those this year. Um, definitely the 17s. I'm not sure if the 12s had been talked about yet, but definitely the 17s. And so I think after that, the only thing to add would be the U19s, um, probably the following season. But yeah, we're getting pretty close to having a a fully fleshed out academy system, uh, which is is really cool to see. And I think it's going to be probably a few years before we start seeing a lot of products coming out of it. But honestly, I wouldn't be surprised of some conversations I've had. I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing some preliminary contracts going to Academy players within the next six months to a year. Nice. And then the first team actually trained on Friday because they didn't fly out yet. They had, they had some training on the field. I just, I remember the one video, Brad Stuver, like tripping coming out and almost falling, but catching himself, which (laughs) Jeff felt like was great because you know, that guy does not need to hurt himself given everything we've talked about. But I think probably the most important thing that happened at the stadium this week was you finally 
uh, walked around the place? Did you just go to the Verde store and like walk around or what was the story there? Uh, so I actually went twice. So last week I went in with uh, the Murga had an open rehearsal and they let in a hundred people. Um, and so I, I signed up for that and, and was one of the people that got picked to, to go in. So I got to go in with the Morga and do some, some song and chant practice. And they did some, um, some, mostly focusing on doing acapella stuff because Nashville didn't let instruments in. And I think that practice definitely paid off because when watching the game, there are of course a lot of Nashville fans in there with instruments and drums and stuff. And so when they were playing, it drowned it out. But in between, you could hear the Austin fans, which is pretty impressive to have no no instruments whatsoever, just stomping, clapping, and voices. And you could hear it very prominently on the broadcast at points. So uh, definitely a, a well worked rehearsal. I think today on the 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 day that this episode episode comes out, they're going to allow 500 people into the stadium to do another Morgan rehearsal. I believe that's going to be open to pretty much anyone. So if if you're not a member of a supporters group, join one. This, these are the kinds of things that you're going to get information about. So um, they're going to let in 500 people. I imagine as we get closer to that starting date, maybe it'll be more and there'll be more events, hopefully in the stadium to see some other cool stuff happening. But uh, yeah, it's, it was really great. I, it was, um, I got a little bit emotional at one point, just like in there singing with everybody and getting to see the stadium. And yeah, it's the, the pictures make it look fantastic, but like pictures of a, of a lot of things, like there are pictures of me that look fantastic. And I'm, <laughs> and I, I so, sometimes those can be deceiving, but getting to go into that building and just kind of look around and see just, it, it really is beautiful. It's, it's, a very nice facility. And I think it's going to, I don't know, it's, it's going to blow a lot of people's minds, just like how nice it is. And it's, I think the striking thing about it is it's so, uh, it, it feels intimate. All of the seats seem very close to the pitch, but at the same time, very big because that roof just seems like it, it's like a mile above you. And so it's just like, it feels tall, but narrow and intimate and i i don't know there's just it, it's there's something really special about it and i think it's going to be pretty amazing on june 19th when we get to go in there and watch a soccer game yeah it's that's like uh, everything everything today made everything about nashville like it's maybe kind of forget it i think i said that this morning on twitter so like i'm just ready to move on and the 100 percent, the you know seeing everybody in the stadium and thinking about it and all that like it's just Let's just get to June 19th because it's going to be an amazing experience for everybody Everybody there. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, do we want to jump into Seattle Sounders preview real quick? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Seattle. All right. Uh, give us a little bit of history about the Seattle Sounders for, for the uninitiated. The history is they're really good. They uh, <laughs> so, so Seattle Sounders is a name that they picked up from a club that had existed in the Northwest for a while. The MLS version joined the league in 2009. Uh, they've won two MLS Cups in recent years, including in 2019. Uh, this was an interesting thing, and this is doing my research on Wikipedia, which I have to trust that it is to be believed, but they've finished in the top four in the West every season of their existence. So from 29 wow. to 2020, they've, they've finished no worse than fourth. Now, obviously, the West has grown a little bit since then, you know? Right. But, uh, but they are always near the top of the league <clears throat> In results, and then they're always near the top of the league in attendance too. And I think they've led the league in attendance a couple times. Part of that's because they play in a, I think Century 
I don't even know what the name of it is. What CenturyLink Field uh, is probably something uh, else now. Lumen Field is what it's called yeah. as of this season. But yeah, it's it's an NFL stadium, so that's part of it. But also, they fill an NFL stadium. So yeah, yeah I mean, it's yeah, it's like forty, yeah, forty two, forty five thousand or something. So it's nothing to sneeze at. But they, yeah, they do they do a really good job of results on the field and results off the field. And I think that they're without a doubt one of the league's model franchises. Absolutely, yeah. So 20, 2020 was another one of those years. They finished second in the West. Uh, they had a remember they were they were playing Minnesota United. We talked about the, a little bit bit about this on the Minnesota United preview, but I think they were down like two zero, like seventy five, seventy eight minutes in against Minnesota United. Had a dramatic comeback and scored three goals to make the final, um, and then they lost three zero to Columbus in the Cup final, which was their fourth the fourth time in the last five years they had made a final. So they think they've won two they've won two and lost two in the last five years. Usually against Toronto. Um, so at least it was a little bit different this year. It was them versus Columbus, but yeah, they're, they were very good in 2020 again and had high expect high expectations going into this year. Yeah. I think looking at the kind of pundit predictions for this season, a lot of people expected them to maybe start off a little bit slow because of missing Jordan Morris. Jordan Morris, uh, went over to England on loan was playing at Swansea ends up getting injured and is like third or fourth game over there tears, tears up his knee has surgery. And so he's just back rehabbing in Seattle at this point, but uh, the Sounders are missing him for this whole season. And so people weren't really sure of how good they were actually going to be at the beginning, but it's kind of the Seattle way over the last few years. It's like, okay, we're not going to worry about the beginning of the year. Only need to be good at the end when it counts and for the playoffs. And so we expect the Sounders to be, in and around the conversation at that point, but probably they're going to start off a little slow. The exact opposite is true. They've been fantastic at the beginning of this season. The best team in the league. I I don't think anybody would dispute that at this point. Um, So they brought back Freddie Montero, who's kind of a club legend. Uh, I think he's their all-time leading scorer. Yeah, Um, I believe believe that's right. And he's, yeah, he'd been away for quite a while, Um, but they signed him back and he hasn't started a match yet, but... He scored two goals um, as a sub, so he's still dangerous. Yeah, and so they're still missing, also still missing Nico Lodero. Uh, been their best player for for several years now, and so he's he hasn't been playing at all. But they brought back Brad Smith, I, maybe at the last the end of last year, but maybe it's beginning of this year. But they've switched to a five three two formation with Alex Roldan and Brad Smith at those wing backs, and they've been really deadly on counterattacks, really dangerous. Um, Really in every aspect of the game, but counterattacks have been super deadly. They're, um, they've scored 14 goals and have only given up three. And um, I think they're, they've won five games and have drawn two. They're first in the West. I think they're the best record in the whole league. Uh, and so they're, yeah, a, a very dangerous team. And I, I think that uh, Austin FC unfortunately should be a little bit worried about this game so do you have a austin fc's path to victory or maybe path to a draw would be maybe the best outcome i think uh i mean i don't necessarily have like a plan to say like this is how we beat seattle but things that we can't do if we're going to beat seattle is we can't give away the ball needlessly like we did in the last two games um, we have to respect their counterattack more than we did against Nashville. They're not going to sit back and bunker, but whenever they do spring that counterattack, they're 
just as deadly, if not probably more more deadly than Nashville in that counterattack. And then we've also been vulnerable uh, on kind of on the flanks at times this year. And with Roldan and uh, and Brad Smith as as good as they've been this year, that's something we're really gonna have to watch for is is them playing it wide to those guys and and sprint kind of springing an attack from there. So. Um, yeah, we have to have a plan for that. As far as what what we do, I think we, we can't turn the ball over as cheaply as we have in this game. We have to score a goal. Like I, I think what I would want to see is maybe start the most dynamic lineup possible, try to punch them in the mouth early, get an early goal, and so that, that way that they're they're not able to like sit back and just hit us with that counter. They're gonna have to come out and play a little bit. That might open up the opportunity for more. Uh, transition opportunities for Austin. I think that's the route to victory. We'll see if it's it's what Wolf chooses to do, and then if he does choose it, choose to do that. We'll see if it actually works. But I think that might be the way to go about it: is to go out really aggressive, try to punch him in the mouth early, and then and then try to play that possession game from there to kind of see the game out. So a little bit of the Minnesota United without the Alex Ring red card approach <laughs> yeah. would, pro- would probably be helpful. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, um, let's jump into our interview with uh, Brad Tillery. So a lot of you will have seen the the Verity Keeper Kit saga on on Twitter. All these awesome videos that Brad and his wife Carrie made. Um, yeah, we're we're gonna talk to Brad real quick and and uh, get him to tell us a little bit about that experience. We'll be right back. When no one is All right, we are happy to be joined by Brad Tillery, who is an Austin FC fan, a former minor league baseball announcer, and the leader of the Verde Keeper Kit movement. Brad, thanks for joining us, man. I think leader of the Verde Keeper Kit movement is going to be my epitaph now. I think that's what's going to happen. <laughs> You're going to have hash, hashtag release the kit on your tombstone. <laughs> on, my, on my tombstone, yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about the origin of of the the Verde Keeper Kit campaign. Man, honestly, it was super organic. Um, if you guys remember the second, and I'm sorry about my voice. I know I told you before coming on the air, I was I was in Nashville last night screaming my head off, so I lost it a little bit. Um, if you guys remember the second uh, scrimmage that we had in the preseason, it was closed door against Louisville, and the pictures came out, and the team was wearing the white jerseys. And then all of a sudden there's a picture of Brad Stuger in this green soccer kit for the goalies. I'm like, wait a second. That has not been shown anywhere. I'm relatively new. I, I'm a pretty new MLS fan. So little did I know the whole league had the same kind of keeper kits all around. Um, but considering our color scheme, I wanted that. Cause I think everybody was like, Hey, we want something super Verde to wear. And it hasn't really been out there uh, on the kits or the jerseys. So it started there, just something simple. It's like sending a gift, like, hey, the old Wayne's World, do you take cash? You know, and tagging in Austin <laughs> FC. And then the second day, I was just like, oh, let's have a little fun. Day two of me waiting for this thing. And it just grew um, to the point where, you know, we started doing haikus. And then we did a, I think I did a letter to uh, a Civil War letter the day they went to play Frisco in a, in a preseason <laughs> game. It's like the boys are headed to Frisco. I have not been chosen, but I hope to receive them upon their return in the Verde Keeper Kit, my dearest. Um, and, and the escalation happened on vacation. 
my wife and I went to Oregon in August, uh, in April, a uh, vacation we had planned to go last year, COVID hit. And so we can't end up going this year. And she's like, Hey, what if we put Verde keeper kit in the sand and made a quick video and then it pans up to you and you just look all grumpy. And we put the, uh, curb your enthusiasm. You find it like, love it. Let's do it. <laughs> and so that night we just started talking about more ideas and, and to her in, Steering and undying credit. My wife, Carrie, is one of the most creative people you will ever meet in your life. She did all the editing on these videos. She had a lot of the ideas. And um, so that's where we started saying, like, oh, hey, you remember that stupid, annoying, she knows I hate the FC, or the, uh, not FC, excuse me, but the JG Wentworth commercials. I hate that song. It gets stuck in my head every time. <laughs> and she goes, well, you remember the originals where they were yelling out of the windows? I'm like, yeah. She goes, that'd be perfect. Yes, that's great. So on that trip alone, we came up with that idea. We came up with the uh, NBFC fake news one. That's where I drew the hand turkey on the, for, for the peacock. Um, and things just kept rolling. So that's kind of how it all happened. I, I was going to ask, cause like, so your wife has had a good attitude and was supportive of it all, all along. My wife would have been like, yeah, that's kind of dumb. That's like I'm, oh, I'm out no, no, on this no. idea. So my wife used to have a pretty successful Vine channel, actually. And so her mind works in these increments and understands how to make things work online. That's not how my mind necessarily works. But when we get going together, we tend to be on the same wavelength a lot. Um, or we'll bounce ideas and, hey, we could tweak this one little thing here and it'll be really solid. And, and she knows to keep everything like, hey, let's keep it under a minute or under 45 seconds to keep <laughs> people engaged, right? So I, I, honestly more than half of the ideas were hers um and all the editing was hers and she'll she'll tell you she's like that's the most fun i've had in a long time just doing that kind of stuff because she loves it that's awesome yeah. it seems like you guys have a little bit of a connection with the the stuvers now as well like what, what kind of a relationship do you guys have with them yeah so we really don't have much of a relationship i would say with the stuvers when it comes to a personal relationship um brad and i you know outside of talking for five seconds um after the colorado game on the field with each other um <laughs> we never really actually have a conversation with him he, he's we've talked on the back end on dm a few times um that's how kind of the genesis happened was that day the fc wentworth video went viral um he saw it and it was actually an article in the striker phil west wrote it that that kind of made it blow up and uh it was he saw it uh, i think ashley his wife saw it said oh my god this is hilarious and tagged brad into it and then it was like oh brad you stuber you gotta get this guy a kit and i was like oh you don't think i haven't already tried that <laughs> <laughs> and um and i was like hey man i'll send you guys to a steakhouse whatever like i'll do whatever to get a kit and i said or if you'd rather me donate to a charity of your choice i'm in he goes and he sends back a gift well now you're talking and so it worked out that day and i dm'd him a screenshot of my donation um and it was, you know, I wanted to make sure he understood, like, I was in this for the right reason. So we tried to make a, a really good donation to the charity. Um, and we've been able to talk on the back end. He let me know kind of when the kit was potentially coming. Um, and then uh, Ashley would apparently see some videos here and there and like them and comment. Um, honestly, her her message the other day, uh, kind of thanking Carrie and I for helping bring uh, visibility to the laundry project was unexpected, um, but super uh heartfelt and i can't thank her enough for that 
I can't thank Brad enough for being such a good sport because people started tagging him in <laughs> left and right <laughs> and not knowing necessarily everything because he was cool enough when he told me he could he would hook me up that uh he I was like, Hey man, can I keep the kits this this video campaign going until I get it? But at the end we'll do a big push for the laundry project. And he's like, Yeah, yeah, have fun, do whatever, right? So I don't think any of us expected it to go almost two months. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, talk about talk about the laundry project. That's something we wanted to make sure to to cover as in part of this. Is like there's there's good work. I mean, it was great video work, but there's like good work on on behalf of people in need too. That came out of nowhere, but it's been great, man. It's honestly the best side effect of this whole thing. Like, sure, people got their Verde Keeper kits and a chance to buy them, and now I think they're even on the MLS store website, which is awesome. But the biggest thing is we're now being able to impact the community. So through this, we found out about um, their charity. They work with the laundry project uh, between Brad and Ashley, and they had worked with it for uh, their other stops in Columbus and in New York city. And I ended up finding more out about it, just reading it. And what it is, is they basically go and take over a laundromat for a day in low income communities. And that's an expensive thing that people don't think about every having to go do your laundry every week at a laundromat gets pricey. So they'll take it over for a day. Hey, come on in. Everything's covered. You know, we're going to cover your your expenses, your detergent, everything. Like, come in. And you think, well, if you raise $1,000, what are you really doing? But $1,000 helps 30 families for the week. Like, that's crazy. That, that, that's, a, that's a very cool thing that you could do to impact the community. Um, that is also something we can do as supporters without having to go and try to find a 10, 20, 30,000 another goal that might be something that's a little tougher to do. Um, so we wanted to make sure as we found out more about it, that we were able to push the laundry project. So that's why that last video that we did before we did the whole breakfast club reveal of actually having the FC Wentworth kit was um, really to push the laundry project to make it important. And what I think is so cool is you saw Los Verdes get behind it. You saw Austin Anthem get behind it. Oak Army got behind it. And all everybody was retweeting. There were large donations being made. I think Anthem actually donated like four hundred ten dollars on their own, right? Um, I know Oak Army made a donation. I know I know a lot of folks from LV made donations. Um, and in that first day, there was over fifteen hundred bucks raised for the laundry project here in Austin to get going. And we think it's still going to keep going. Um, hopefully, with the exposure, people may not have known about this and listening to this podcast. Right? You know, go go to my Twitter account au underscore trout. I'm not doing it for followers. Go find that last video from about a week ago, and and there's a link in there for the laundry project to be able to go donate. Um, and I I really think it's just been the best part of this whole this whole thing. Um, making the videos was fun. I, it was goofy. I, yeah, I took a hardback book to the ribs one time. I wasn't expecting to take it full force, <laughs> my wife. Um, but at the end of the day, we were on something that was set out to be for a piece of clothing that we could wear to games has now turned into something that's actually legitimately impacting our community. And that's important, man. We can't do anything better as supporters, if you ask me. Yeah, that's that's pretty special. So uh, real quick, you just said you mentioned you were in Nashville for yeah. the game. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Well, other than not understanding why a goal got wiped off the board, I've <laughs> been text people like, what just happened? Um, you know, it was blast. We, Saturday night, uh, we were at uh, a place called the Dogwood, uh, which there's obviously one in Austin. Uh, well, the ownership lives in Austin. So they were like, hey, come out, hang out uh, near our hotel. 
and they let us take over their entire bottom floor. Um, they had a line around the corner trying to get in of everybody else. And we had the place kind of by ourselves. And at one point, you know, we had La Murga out there. We're chanting, we're singing. And the best part is there's a line out the door of bachelorette party trying to figure out what the hell's going on <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of Midtown Nashville. <laughs> Yeah, if listeners, if you haven't seen any of those videos, go find some of those because oh, they're pretty excellent. It was amazing. And if you don't know Nashville, and a lot of people are like, oh, Austin's a big bachelorette place. It does not hold a candle to Nashville, okay? I, I've literally sat in downtown Nashville one night with a beer in my hand and counted 35 different bachelorette parties in one hour. So <laughs> um, so it was great. You know, Saturday night, everybody just kind of got together and had a blast. And I, I don't remember what time we all went to bed. Um and then Sunday, you know, we all met at a place downtown, had a few drinks pregame. Uh, the Predators game was going on like a block away and it went double overtime, right? So the bars were pretty full, but we had a place kind of set up. But the cool thing was Sunday right before the match, we ended up doing a full march to the match. Um, basically from about a block from where the Predators play all the way to Nissan Stadium. And that's about a 10 block walk. And then you got to cross a river. Um, and we marched it right down Broadway, which is the main street in Nashville. That's the party street with all the honky tonks. And I mean, literally everybody's looking at left's like, what in the heck is going on? But then people are high-fiving you. They're dancing along. <laughs> Everybody's got their Pred stuff on, but you would see a few Nashville SC stuff and they would just look at you like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're doing this. And then as we get out to the top of the bridge, there's a pedestrian bridge in Nashville that goes over the Cumberland River to the stadium. And it overlooked where their supporter groups were actually tailgating. And you could just see them turn their head and go, oh, my, what? <laughs> so, um, you know, it was cool. And then we kept playing. and uh, La Merga kept playing. We kept chanting. We got to greet the buses um, and then marched it around to our seats. And, you know, the, the unfortunate part was playing in an NFL stadium. They didn't let us bring in any instruments or noisemakers, anything like that. So we had to go full acapella. Um, but it was a blast, man. We had, I think 175 people there. Right. So. You mentioned earlier in the episode that you could hear it on the broadcast. Like, could you? Of yeah, course, so I don't, that, I haven't heard that. Yeah. When, when Nashville's fans, they had drums and stuff, whenever they were going at it, it of course was getting drowned out, but in between yeah. it was very prominent on the broadcast. Like if you know the songs, you're like, Oh, those are Austin fans. That's not what's the Nashville funny, fans doing that. What's funny is they had their, their, they had folks next to us. So the section, our section was, they didn't let us in the first 10 rows because of COVID protocol since we were right next to the player tunnel. So we were about 10 rows up, but the, every row that we had, the section over from us didn't have any sales. They were trying to separate stuff. But the groups around us, they were quiet, family kind of sections, things like that. And you could tell, they looked at us like, what are you guys doing? Because they just, they're not used to it. Um, and so, you know, we, we tried to sing in the entire 90 as much as possible. Um, I know a few people even brought in like the clanger sticks that like you blow up and they make a bunch of noise. <laughs> um, like they snuck them in and that's how we were able to make a little bit of an extra noise in the second half, right? They were blown up. Um, but yeah, it was great. I honestly, the town is such a blast. Um, and, and shout out to the the roadies as well. Um, one of the supporter groups for Nashville SC. Um, I, I know you guys know soccer Moses, uh, the guy from there who, yeah. I don't, do you know his story by the way? No. You know, have you ever heard of the Christian rock band Jars of Clay from about 15 years ago? Yeah, yeah. He's their lead guitarist. No way. <laughs> so, 
um, the president of uh, the roadies, a few others and soccer Moses came out to the bar on Saturday night to hang out with us for a little bit. And he came in full dress, full soccer Moses dress Saturday night, taking pictures with us with his let my people goal sign and everything like that. Um, and he could not be any more cool. And the roadies were super cool to us. And I can't wait to host them here, man. Um, you know, we didn't go tailgate with them on Sunday. And I told him why I'm like, look, we've got almost 200 people. We don't want to take over a tailgate with our drums and be that, that crew. Right. That's the last thing we want to do is impose on somebody else's hospitality. Um, but they were awesome. Um, honestly, the whole experience was great. The, the stewards were super cool to us in the stadium. Um, so it's going to be a better soccer experience when they get their new stadium built for sure. Um, cause it is a cavernous football stadium, like an NFL stadium. So the lower yeah. bowl was pretty full and there's 22,000, but it doesn't feel like it in there. So once they really get the new stadium going, it's going to be pretty wild in there for games. It, uh, one other thing we wanted to ask you about is it looked like from social media that, that y'all made a new friend at the airport, right? Oh yeah. So Saturday on the way out, this is funny. I've never met the man. And all of us were at the, the Haymaker Bar at the airport in Austin having a beer before the before our flight because a bunch of us from the same flight. And a guy walks by in Verde, and I'm like, hey, Verde, come over here, have a drink, just yelling. I didn't know who it was. <laughs> he had a mask on. I had no idea, right? He walks up, and he goes, I'm just introducing myself. like, hey, I'm Brad. He goes, hey, I'm Anthony Precourt. <laughs> he goes i own the team i'm like yeah i know who you are man <laughs> um, and i said oh i'm that jackass that's been bugging you for a verde keeper kit for two months and he's like oh nice so um, <laughs> we're having a really cool conversation um i i had to pull my keeper kit out of my carry-on and throw it on i'm like how many option opportunities do i get to take a picture with this jersey on with a guy that had been bugging for two months <laughs> uh, so uh, my wife made fun of me for that, that one. Um, but yeah, it, he was, he couldn't have been more cool. Man, he bought us all around a beer while we were sitting there waiting on our flight. Um, we were talking about DPs and, um, we were talking about, you know, other potential, uh, opportunities that could potentially come up. You know, we we're all throwing out suggestions. He's like, well, you know, we're working on stuff. He's trying to be coy, <laughs> <laughs> which I respect. You can't, you can't talk about stuff that you can't talk about. Um, but it, he honestly, could not have been more a cool dude to everybody that was there. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back at kind of the Austin MLS timeline, I, whenever like it started to look like a real thing, like Austin is probably going to get an MLS team. I started just kind of following MLS fan cultures from around the league. And I think I looked at Atlanta a lot because there's a lot of cool stuff happening in Atlanta as far as the online presence and like the art and the, the fan culture that was, like fan culture content that was being created. And I was just like looking at that. I was like, that's so cool. And I can't wait until Austin fans are doing stuff like that. And so to see your video, your, your yeah. yours and Carrie's videos coming out, I'm like, we're there. Like it's well, happening now. I didn't grow up a soccer fan, man. I grew up in the deep South where college football is king. Right. So uh, I literally just kind of getting into soccer recently. This is just something to attach to for, I love sports. And I was like, Hey, this looks like a fun community. And that's what it's become is these people are like family now, man, like traveling and having drinks with people and talking with people, get to know folks from different walks of life in different parts of Austin. It, it's been in my 10 years of living here, the most connected I've ever felt to Texas and central Texas. Um, and it's by far and away the best part that I've had since living here. Um, you know, it, it, I've met really good people and people I consider friends now. Um, 
would don't think twice about offering somebody a chance if they need a room or whatever. All right, we'll figure it out. Right. Um, you know, buy somebody a beer. Ah, we'll even out. We'll hang out again at some point. Um, it, it, you just meet so many really, really cool people with that have interesting backgrounds and are super smart and creative and have different expertise. And I have learned more in the last few months between joining an SG and getting to know the people in the Slack channel than I I have about people in this community in 10 years. Yeah, I a very, very similar experience for me. So yeah. I'm I'm glad to see that more people are more people's lives are being enriched by by this team and by these fans. So yeah, it's it's really great to see for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Brad, thanks for thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for joining us. And uh yeah, hope hope to get to meet you in person at some point soon. Yeah, yeah definitely. Good. Look forward to it. And uh everybody out there listening, make sure you go look up the laundry project, make some donations, help out folks in our community. And when you sign up or when you do it in the comments, tell them it's for uh Verde Keeper Kids. So they know it's coming from Austin. <laughs> awesome. Sounds good. Yeah, we'll put that in the we'll put a link in the show notes too, so that everybody has a easy, easy access to it. And we'll We'll also post some of those videos from Nashville and maybe your picture with pre-court too, since it was it's a heck of a weekend. <laughs> that and the picture with uh, Soccer Moses, man. It was good times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Wait, thanks for joining us, Brad. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Right out of my brain. All right. We want to thank Brad one more time for joining us. That's uh, such such a cool story. So it's fun to to get to know him a little bit and hear, hear about that saga from a first-hand account. Before we wrap up, we want to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, yeah, if you know someone who likes soccer, I, I, I meet someone every week, it seems like, who asks about the team, asks about what's going on with this new MLS thing going on. If you meet someone like that, tell them about the show. Uh, if you enjoy it, we think maybe your friends and other people interested in this will too help grow this community. So yeah, just let people know about it. If you get a chance. Um, we also want to thank all the people who have left reviews. Uh, we're going to try to get those, uh, that donation out sometime this week and start sending those cards out sometime in the next week as well. And so, yeah, thanks for everyone who's done that. We're going to get some money to a good cause and get you some stickers to put on your, your cars or other items. Uh, we also want to encourage you to go to the Striker Texas website. Uh, Jeremiah, what's an article that folks should check out this week? Uh, Phil Phil West wrote a good article today about the Q2, Q2 Stadium opening at full capacity. So we covered the highlights uh, earlier on the show, but if you want to read in detail uh, the plans for that and what that's going to look like, then check Phil's article out there. Also, come find us on on Twitter. On uh, We're on Instagram now at moon tower soccer on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find search our names on Twitter and you'll find us as well. We'd love to, to kind of connect with you again. We're, we're just lots and lots of people have been connecting and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to getting to a point where we can start meeting these people in person and kind of make, making new friends in the soccer community that, that we haven't really been able to do over the last year. So, uh, as, as Brad mentioned in the interview, just the community that that's been built around this team is really special. So we're looking forward to um just kind of the atmosphere being safe enough to start going out and and building that community some more so yeah come find us and say hi for sure thanks so much for listening this week we'll be back in one week with a new episode of moon tower soccer where we're going to recap the seattle match we'll also look forward uh look ahead to the next game against sporting kansas city and then cover any other austin fc news that breaks in the mean in the meantime until then i'm landon cottom 
I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around.